One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave, him, gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One, and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is in Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, Through your offspring all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Thanks, Carl. Well, I think, uh, I think before uh, we begin, I should issue a, a warning, uh, and that is, as some of you know, the, uh, the Christian school put on the sound of music uh, this past week, and it was great. I had the opportunity to, to help out by playing trombone, which was great fun. It was uh, just a great week all around, really. Uh, I'm sure lots of people who, who made it there would agree. But one of the unintended consequences of that 
was uh, that I have developed this habit of spontaneously breaking out in counting. Uh, I've been counting bars for 15 hours this past week and uh, I walked out of Woolworths yesterday and just found myself going, one, two, three, four. And I went to pray before breakfast this morning when I bowed my head. Instead of praying, I suddenly realised I was counting to ten. So if I start counting in the middle of the sermon uh, or the prayer, uh, please excuse me. Uh, I, think, I think just the emotional burden, too, of seeing Julian uh, fall in love five times and <laughs> break off five engagements and then get married five times uh, was just exhausting. Uh, I can only imagine what it did to Eric and Emmy. Uh, but it was great fun. Well, to more serious things, though... Uh, we come to this miracle story in the book of Acts today, and the language uh, of miracles invades our world. Even though many people don't believe in the idea of miracles or that God can do miracles, the, mir- the language of miracles is very much part of our world. Stephen Bradbury winning the gold medal a few years ago at the Winter Olympics in the short track speed skating was a miracle. Everyone else in the field ahead of him fell over and he crossed the line first. Uh, The Brisbane Lions, beating anyone at the moment would be a miracle. Uh, But as surprising as those things might be, they're not really miracles. After all, a miracle is not something which is unlikely, but something impossible happening. And here in this passage, God does the impossible. Uh, And God's actions in doing the impossible challenges us to think about the world, what we make of the world, uh, and what we make of Jesus Christ. The miracle itself in this chapter is pretty straightforward as far as miracles goes, I suppose. Uh, During the early days of the church, not long after Pentecost, Peter and John are going up to the temple at the time of prayer, and uh, they see this, this crippled man begging at the temple gate. His situation is incredibly tragic. He's crippled, uh, he's been crippled from birth and the only way that he can support himself is by begging and he can't even get himself to the temple gate in order to beg, he has to be carried there by friends. And when when this beggar sees Peter and John coming up to the temple to pray, uh, he calls out to them uh, that they might give him money. But instead of giving him money, Peter says some of the most famous words Uh, in the New Testament. He says in verse 6, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth walk. Peter grabs him by the hand, he helps him up, and as he does so, his feet and his ankles are strengthened and he's healed. And and (laughs) to prove it to everybody, he, he runs off leaping and praising God. Well, it's an incredible miracle, isn't it? But what is the purpose. Why now is this man healed? Why uh, has God allowed that to happen through Peter and John? Well, the purpose of this miracle uh, is explained to us through Peter's speech to the crowd. A great crowd gathers uh, to, in awe of what has happened and Peter begins to preach to them to explain why it is that God has healed this crippled man. And there are three things, I think, that the miracle tells us uh, about Jesus, about the world, about God. First, it highlights Jesus' continuing power. 
At first, people think that this miracle that uh, Peter and John perform is the result of their power. Uh, Peter has to say in verse 12, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power of godliness we had made this man walk? It's not their power that had healed the man. It was the power of Jesus, the power of the Jesus that they had crucified, which healed this man. You killed the author of life, says Peter, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, the man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. The miracle is is a kind of a replica, actually, of of the miracles that Jesus did in his own life and ministry. Jesus uh, was famous for healing the sick, for opening the eyes of the blind and for making the lame walk. And here in this miracle, Peter and John demonstrate that Jesus is still doing miracles and Jesus is still powerful because this man was not healed by them but by Jesus. You might remember that Luke begins Acts by saying that Acts is all about what Jesus is continuing to do and to teach through the power of his Holy Spirit uh, in his disciples. And here in Acts 3, we see the continuing power of Jesus. Pretend for a moment, you see, that you're living in first century Palestine, that you see this guy named Jesus kind of rise up and do these miracles, do these amazing things. He does things that nobody has ever done before. He heals the sick, he opens the eyes of the blind, he makes the lame walk, but then he's put to death. What happens now? Is that the end of the power of this man? If it's the end of Jesus' power, then Jesus was special, he was a great miracle worker, but he's not much use to anybody anymore. If Jesus' power is at an end, then Jesus is just kind of a historical curiosity. A great man who lived, who did these incredible things, people witnessed them and saw them, And frankly, isn't that nice? But if Jesus' death wasn't the end of his power, if Jesus is still working, if Jesus is still working even though he's not present in person, if Jesus' power is not at an end, then Jesus is not just a historical curiosity. Jesus is something else altogether. Peter explains that though these people put Jesus to death, God raised him to the dead from the dead because Jesus is not a one-hit wonder, but he is the holy and righteous one and the author of life. Those are titles for God and, and for God's Saviour, in fact. God is holy. God is the righteous one. God is the author of life. And Peter wants the crowd to know that it's the power of the divine saviour Jesus that healed this man completely and not their power and not their godliness. It's not our power, do you see, that makes things happen. It's not our power that fixes up people's lives. It's It's not our power that fixes up our own lives. Jesus said we can't turn a single hair white or add an hour to our day. We can't make the lame walk. We can't patch up their lives. We can't even patch up our own lives. We don't have the power. But Jesus does. 
I was struck recently by a comment uh, that someone made that an evangelist, kind of a, an evangelistic preacher, whenever he would preach an evangelistic message, he would always preach on the miracles of Jesus. Because in the miracles of Jesus, people have to come to terms with who Jesus really is. <laughs> you got to... You could preach on the other bits of Jesus' life, the nice sayings, and just come away going, well, isn't that nice? Jesus has got some good advice for my life. But when you preach the miracles of Jesus, you have to come to terms with who he really is. And I think in the same way, the miracles of Jesus also force us to come to terms with our powerlessness. That the kind of healing and restoration that we need is so utterly beyond our power in the same way that it was beyond this crippled man to make himself walk. We can't patch up our lives, but Jesus can. We need a divine saviour. We need a saviour who's God. Because without that, we're powerless and without hope. And please notice that access to the power of Jesus comes through faith. It doesn't come through godliness or our own perfection. Like the crippled man, we're spiritually incapacitated. And we can't clamber our way up to God. There's nothing that we can do except, like the man, call out for help and receive the help that's given. This miracle then testifies to the power of Jesus, the continuing power of Jesus, and it testifies to who Jesus is. But the miracle also is a portent, a sign of things to come. So in verse 19, Peter says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Peter looks ahead to a time when God will send Jesus again. At the moment, Jesus is in heaven with the Father uh, at his right hand, but he will come again, and he will come again to restore everything. The restoration that he has in mind is the restoration of all of creation. And in a sense, this miracle is just kind of a little window into that. So what Jesus does for this one man is a picture of what God will one day do in Jesus at the, end of, uh, at the end of the world. When Peter says to this man, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you, sometimes we understand him, I think, to be saying something like this. I can't give you money, but I can give you spiritual healing, and that's better anyway. But that's not what's going on here. You see, what Jesus brings this man and what's better than money is physical healing. This man was crippled and being crippled, he was unable to work, he was unable to support himself, he was even unable to get to the temple to beg. But by restoring this man's legs, Jesus was enabling him to walk, and so to work, and to live, and to be useful. And in that sense, what Jesus did through Peter was much better than giving him money. If he had have given him money, he would have left this man in his misery. But by enabling him to walk, this man no longer needed to beg. 
It's important, I think, that uh, as good evangelical Christians who want to emphasise the spiritual side of things, it's important that we don't overlook the fact that part of the good news of the gospel is not just that Jesus heals our relationship with God, but that Jesus heals the broken world, that Jesus heals to pro- uh, promises to heal our broken bodies. In our context, uh, perhaps where most of us are pretty healthy, maybe that doesn't seem so important. Uh, to people living in poorer countries, I, I suspect, where they don't have the kind of access to medical resources that we have, uh, the idea that Jesus will heal our diseased and broken bodies, I suspect, is a great a message of great hope and great consolation. But actually, the truth is, I suspect, that many of us are not, are not that healthy anyway. <laughs> many of us struggle with health problems. Many of us struggle with broken bodies of one, ki- of one kind or another. Some of us live with chronic pain. Some of us live with depression or anxiety or other kinds of mental illness. Some of us live with bad joints, some of us live with poor eyesight, some of us live under the threat of cancer rearing its ugly head again. Some of us live predisposed to brokenness. One of the uh, advances in science lately has been kind of, you know, genetic testing. They've discovered these uh, genes, these breast cancer genes, BRCA1 and BRCA2, uh, and and if you have those genes, then you know, your risk of breast cancer goes up exponentially. And so people begin to think, well, what, what do I do? And so we've come into a, a world where people have preemptive surgery uh, in order to uh, avoid the risk. There was a great article recently on the Gospel Coalition titled, Life Embodied is Life at Risk. Uh, and in that article, the person told the story of a friend of theirs who uh, had a, a particular genetic disorder, which meant that they were at a high likelihood of developing stomach cancer and ovarian cancer and you name it. There was about five cancers. And so the doctors had said to them, well, you should, you know, we should take out your colon and we should take out, there was about three parts of their body that they were going to take out. We live in a world of brokenness, with broken bodies, predisposed to illness and disease. And in that context, it's a great encouragement, I think, to know that one day Jesus will put that all right. That what Jesus did for this one man, he will do for the whole creation. That Jesus, what Jesus did for this one man, he will do for all of those who trust in him. Well, there are lots of people in our community as well uh, who live with chronic health issues and they need the message of great hope in Jesus as well. You might have seen on the footy, uh, they've been trying to raise support for research into motor neuron disease uh, with the uh, ice bucket challenge. Uh, It's being spearheaded by the former Melbourne coach Neil Danaher, uh, who's suffering from MND, and good on them for, for trying to raise money for that. But the sobering truth is, I think, that no matter how many millions of dollars we spend on medical research and no matter how many hours of brain power that we devote to it, of our best brains, no matter how much we do, even if we find a cure, we still can't fix the world. 
People will still die of old age or cancer or a car accident. Peter says that what Jesus did for this one man, he will do for the whole world. He will restore the world, make it new, make it unbroken in a way that we can never do. We should notice uh, too that Peter doesn't promise that Jesus will do it now. He says that Jesus will only restore everything when he returns at the time appointed by the Father. We can't offer people the hope that God will heal them today. But we can offer the hope that God will do it one day when Jesus returns. This miracle then is a testimony to Jesus' continuing power. It's a sign of the restoration of everything that Jesus will bring when he returns. Uh, And lastly, it reveals the importance of listening to Jesus. To say that physical restoration is important is not to say that it's all that matters, nor is it to say that uh, that everyone in the world will share in the restored creation. This last miracle reveals, uh, sorry, this last thing that Peter says reveals that what we need to do is to repent and listen to Jesus. That's the point of the miracle. Peter's shown the crowds what Jesus can do, and now he says, unless they listen, unless they listen to Jesus and repent, they cannot share in the life and hope that Jesus brings. Peter says to them in verse 17, Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. They'd killed Jesus, whom God had sent to rescue them. And it didn't matter that they'd acted in ignorance. They were still guilty, And they cannot expect to share in what Jesus is doing unless they turn to Jesus and unless they trust in him. And Peter says that if they do listen to Jesus and if they do trust in him, Jesus will wipe their sins away. The image there comes from the fact that in the ancient world when people would write Uh, on papyrus, the ink that they would use didn't soak into the paper. And so you could come along with a wet cloth and you could just wipe it off. You could just wipe the ink off and start again with a completely clean piece of paper. And Peter says that if we trust in Jesus, that that is what God does with our sin. Through the, the sponge of the cross, God wipes away every sin, all the record of that sin. And it's a clean sheet of paper. We can't be Jesus' enemies and expect to receive his healing, but the pathway to restoration is through the forgiveness that comes through the suffering of Jesus. He suffered to redeem us from our suffering. He was broken so that we might be made whole. But Peter says those blessings aren't automatic. We need to listen. 
and we need to trust Jesus. We need not only to hear, but also to, li- to listen. We need to take it to heart and we need to respond. Well, there are some people here who've done that, who've heard the good news of the gospel and who believe in Jesus. People who acknowledge that they've rejected God, people who acknowledge freely that they're imperfect people. People who acknowledge that they need the forgiveness of God. People who've given up every hope of kind of getting closer to God. People whose only hope is in Jesus Christ. And what a blessing that there are people here who know Christ and trust in him. There are others here, I suspect, who've heard and who want to respond but don't even know how to. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've heard the message and you know your sin and you know you feel the need of Christ, but you don't know actually what you're supposed to do. Well, if that's you, then really it's very simple. You could pray a prayer like this. Father, please forgive me for all my sins through the death of Jesus. And please help me to know and trust that in Jesus I belong to you. And if you pray that prayer, why not tell somebody? (laughs) Or if you like, if you don't know who to tell, why don't you come up after the service and tell me? And we can pray together. There are some here who've heard and responded, others who've heard and don't know how to respond, and there are others yet who have heard over and over again and still don't care. People who are disinterested, bored, or maybe not bored but openly hostile. One of the great sadnesses, I suppose, you might say about preaching uh, publicly, preaching from week to week, is that sometimes you can see on people's faces that they're just not interested Sometimes you can see on people's faces that they're hardened to the gospel. It's very sad. Well, if that's you, please understand two things. Please understand that unless you turn to Jesus, one day you will face the wrath of God. You will face eternity without God in the misery of a world defined by hatred and bitterness and evil. And please understand that all that you are giving up Uh, Please understand all that you're giving up by refusing to embrace Jesus. Please understand you're giving up restoration, forgiveness, hope in God, the love of God. God invites you to come. (laughs) Jesus says, come to me with open arms. You're not rejecting an angry and a hostile God, but a loving and a caring God. A God who longs to woo (laughs) like a husband woos his wife. There are some who've heard and responded, others who've heard and don't know how to respond, others who have no interest. And most tragic of all, I think, are those who have heard and have not realised that they haven't listened. Those who sit in church week after week and the words wash over them and they comfort themselves saying, I know Christ, and yet their life denies that. They don't listen to Jesus. 
The decisions that they make don't reflect Jesus' priorities. Perhaps you think that you need to make it to Jesus, to clamber your way to him. Perhaps you think that the solution lies in your power, your godliness, rather than in faith in Christ and the power and godliness of Jesus. Perhaps you can see that you're drowning, but you think that the way to get out of that is to swim to Jesus. But you can swim the oceans of the world, can't you? And you can't make it to Mars. <laughs> they just don't get there. The only way to be saved is to receive what Jesus has done, to receive it by faith and to trust that what Christ has done on the cross is enough to make us right with God. Are you a listening person or just a hearer? That's what this miracle that God did through Peter and John forces us to ask. Am I a listener or just a hearer? Miracles force us to reckon with our powerlessness and drive us to the power of Jesus, the power of Jesus that will one day put the world right. And the good news is that we can share in that restoration if we trust in Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to be people who listen and not only hear. Lord, thank you that your power is a power that goes on. That the miracles of Jesus were not a one-off, but that he still does miracles every day in breaking hard hearts in bringing people to faith in him and Lord thank you for the promise that one day all the brokenness of our world will be put away by that power that same power that broke open the grave when Jesus rose from the dead Lord God, we pray that there would be none among us who failed to embrace our Saviour Jesus Christ. Help us to love him. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.